Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. All right, let's open up the Word of God this morning. We're going to be going to Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. This morning, we're going to see that it has a reason for being the faith chapter because it's also an unfolding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also an unfolding of, of, of what God wants us to know about him. Let me ask you a question while you're turning, a question or two. Uh, and, and this morning, we're going to be talking about our God. Our God. Uh, look, look at somebody and say, our God. You know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, someone else's God or, or, or some other religion. We're talking about Jehovah, the one true and living God, the God of the ages, Elohim, the great God I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Noah, the God of Enoch, the God of Jesus Christ. We're talking about our God. It's important that you be very specific whenever you're talking about God or listening to someone else talk about God because not every time someone says God are they talking about the God that you are talking about. Not every time someone else says Lord are they referring to Jesus Christ. There are a lot of religions out here and there are a lot of spin-offs of, 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 of a lot of different thoughts and ideologies. So when someone starts talking to you about God or, or starts using the word Lord, it doesn't hurt to ask them to clarify. In fact, the Bible says in, in, in 1 John that we should not believe every spirit, but we should try the spirits, whether they are of God or not. And, and those spirits that testify that Jesus Christ is the one they're talking about. Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he was the son of God and gave his life on the cross of Calvary and is coming again. That's the God. That's the spirit that we're supposed to believe. It's very important because a lot of people throw this God term around. You know, everyone is seeking for the same thing. Religions are looking for something in the future. They're looking for something, someone in whom they can invest a little time, a little attention, a little money, a little work and try to get better off in the life to come. Some people are serving their God because they are hoping to be reincarnated in the next life to a little better position. That's why they're serving their God. Some people are serving their God because they're wanting 70 plus virgins whenever they die in this life. That's why they're serving their God. Some people are serving their God because they believe that they're going to get a planet in which they're going to get to populate with all of their wives that they can collect in this world, okay? And that's why they are serving their God. Some people are serving their God because they believe that their God is the God that is an alien that's circling the globe right now because he seed planted the earth as, as, as you know, for, for that's why they're serving their God. And all of these people call their God. God, God. Okay? It's important to realize when you're talking about Jehovah, you're not talking about a female God. You're not talking about a cow God. You're not talking about a karma God. Okay? You're talking about Jehovah Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Father of Jesus Christ, my God, your God, our Father, our friend, Almighty 
Jehovah. Amen? So that's why I wanted to clarify just our God, okay? We're just talking this morning about not any God, but we're talking about our God. What do you do when the future scares you? What do you do whenever you're looking into the future and, and you're a little concerned about what's going to happen? Maybe you don't know what that next step is going to bring. Maybe it's a step out of, out of high school or a step out of college. Maybe it's a step into marriage. Maybe it's a step into divorce. Maybe it's a step into retirement or a step into changing a job. Maybe it's a step into moving to another city or to another country. Maybe it's a, a, a step from this life to the next life. What do you do when you're looking forward to a decision or to a moment and it scares you? What do you do when the future scares you? What do you do whenever other people that you love and care about are in danger? What do you do whenever one of your family members or one of your friends uh, has gone off to war? Or perhaps, you know, you, you've heard that they've had a car wreck and they're on their way to a hospital. What do you do when a family member or a friend is in danger? What do you do when someone you care about is at risk? What do you do when someone you love, you know they have a drinking problem or a drug problem or, or you know that, that, that one of your children is headed for divorce or maybe they're, they're going to jail? What do you do when someone you love is in danger? What do you do? in life when you just don't know what to do? What do you do whenever something happens and you're not sure what direction you should turn? What you should believe, who you should believe, where you should go, when you don't know where help is going to come from and you need help? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to talk about them a little bit. We're going to see the unfolding of the gospel in these 10 verses. We're going to see and, and understand that even though this gives us a glimpse of the past, and it talks to us about Men and women. Hebrews 11 gives us all these men and women who were full of faith. But before we read this, I, I want us to understand that these were not super heroes. These were not super men. They were not super women. These were common, ordinary, everyday men and women that faced the same things that you and I face. If you were to pass them on the road, you would not recognize anything special about them. You, if, if, if you were to hang around them or they were your next door neighbor, you would not know one thing special about them other than that perhaps they trusted God, Jehovah. That may be all you know about them. Today, the people that you pass in the mall or tomorrow at school or, or at one of the plants this week, the people you're driving up and down the road by, they may be every bit as super as any of these people. You don't notice them. In fact, the Bible says that if you had to pass Jesus on a road, that he would have had no form or visibility, nothing visible in his life, that you would have seen him any different than anyone else. The Bible is filled with people that we look back on and we imagine that they had some mystical, magical life. They didn't. 
They face the same problems that you and I face, the same circumstances, same situations. Their claim to fame is that they trusted God in their moment. It's not that they didn't have difficulties. It's not that they were uh, empowered with some special super uh, consciousness. They were making choices in life. And not every choice they made was the best choice or the right choice. But one right choice they made in life was to put their trust in God. They were normal, everyday, ordinary people, just like the person you're sitting beside, no different. The Bible says the prophet Elijah, if you were to read James, the fifth chapter, the prophet Elijah was a man subject to the same emotional ups and downs and passions just like you and I are, only that he prayed earnestly in faith and God answered his prayer. That was his claim to fame. Not that he was powerful, but that the God he served was powerful and that he trusted God. Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. It tells us a lot of the history of the fathers and the mothers of our faith. But this history is not meant to be just a history lesson. The reason why God wrote these things about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Romans the fourth chapter tells us, is not so that we would remember and commemorate them but rather so that we might use them as an example. It was not written for their sakes, the Bible says alone, but for our sakes, upon whom the world is pressing today. So the pressures you are under are no different than the ones Noah was under. No different than the ones that, that Abraham was under. No different. No different than the ones that Isaac faced. No different than the ones that Enoch faced. No different, ordinary, everyday life. We see them as champions of faith, and they are. And so is everyone who trusts in God, our God. Amen. When we read this word faith, I want to make sure you, you, you know what it understands in the Greek, okay? The Greek word for faith, do you know what it means? Faith. Okay, now I have a doctorate in theology and I want you to know I know this for sure. Okay, the word faith, when we read it, will mean faith. As simple as you can put it, it means trust in the truth. You have to have two things to have faith. Number one, you have to have the truth. If you don't have the truth, then you cannot have faith. Your trust in the truth is faith. If you're missing trust, you don't have faith. If you're missing truth, you don't have faith. If you're missing truth, you can be trusting and it's called delusion. Okay? It's not called faith. It's called delusion and it's called deception. It's not called faith when it's not trust in the truth. And the truth stands alone. And until we trust it, it's not called faith. It's called doubt. But when we trust the truth, it's called faith. All right, are we ready? Hebrews 11 verse one, New King James Version says, now faith is, you know, you could stop and preach right there. Many preachers have, and I have at least a dozen times, and I've just stopped right there because faith is a now thing. 
Trust is a now thing. If you don't have it now, it's not faith. If you don't trust now, it's not faith. It's I, I might, I will one day, perhaps when I learn more, when I hear more. But whenever you trust the truth, boom, you have faith. Now, faith is, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. You can't get a good testimony without trust in God. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. If you had been there when God created the heavens and the earth, you wouldn't have seen anything. And all of a sudden, boom. Where'd these planets come from? You know, God created it. How do we know that? Well, you see, that's something you have to trust God about. Because you weren't there, I wasn't there, and all the science in the world is not going to put it together. We have to have faith. By faith, that's how I understand that God made the heavens and the earth. It's because he said it, and he's the truth, and I trust the truth. And when we trust the truth, we have faith. And by faith, that's how I understand. How do you understand how the world got created? It's only by our confidence in God. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Oh, there's an unfolding picture of the gospel, isn't it? And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had a personal rapture, but guess what? So will you and I. Whew, glory to God, yeah. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse six. But without faith, if you do not trust the truth, or if you're trusting in something that's not the truth, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must, number one, you have to believe that God exists or you can't come to him. You can't have faith if you don't believe in God. And number two, we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Wow. Verse seven, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. What, 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 what's he talking about? He's talking about that it had never rained. Up until Noah's day, water came in the form of dew falling from the heavens and dew rising from the earth. There was a, 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 a subtropical type of a greenhouse effect around the earth. And, and it was just, you know, humid and, 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 and tropical. And no one had ever seen rain. No one imagined rain. Rain was not something. And, and, but, but by faith, Noah. Noah heard from God. And Noah said, you know, even though I've never seen it, even though nobody's ever seen it, and even though it sounds like some fairy tale yet, I believe God is the truth and therefore I'm going to trust the truth. I'm going to believe God and when Noah believed God, the Bible counted his faith and it says, by faith Noah, 
He was divinely warned of things not yet seen. He was moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He, he trusted the truth and saved his whole family. No one had ever seen it, but he trusted God more than anything else. And his whole family was saved by which he condemned the world. You know, whenever, whenever Noah believed God, God said, okay, it is possible for man to believe me, even in all of this wickedness going on. And if one man could believe me, they all could believe me, but the rest of them shunned not only God and shunned the warning from God, but also shunned Noah as he preached for 120 years while he built that ark. And they kept suppressing and they kept pushing it off. Let me tell you, don't push God away. Don't push him away. Not my God, not our God. Don't push him away. Because one day that door closed. And because Noah trusted God, God knew it was possible for everybody to trust him. And that shined a bad light on those that didn't. And Noah became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. You see, righteousness comes by trusting God. That's how we get right with God. You want to get right with God? Trust him. Okay. Trust him. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham... Abraham obeyed when he was called. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. Because Abraham was called to go out. Not just out, but a long way. Yeah. Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Kind of at the bottom of, of, of Iraq. And when God called Abraham to go out, Abraham didn't know where he was going. Abraham, Abraham couldn't see the end. He could only see the next step. And so he trusted God. By faith, Abraham trusted God and took the next step. He didn't see every step, but he did see the next step. You see, sometimes God sends us down a road to get to the end of the road. Sometimes he sends us down the road to get to the fork in the road. And we don't know which one it is until we trust him enough to go down the road. And Abraham trusted God with the first step, the next 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 step, all the way up through the tip of Syria, all the way, oh, you know, uh, up into the tip of Turkey, all the way down then into what is now Israel. A thousand miles this man walked, trusting God for every step, not knowing where he was going until he got there and God said, this is it. <laughs> Whoa. And he looked around and God said, now look around. Get up on that little hill and look everywhere. I've gone up on that same hill called Bethel and looked around. And God said, everything you see, I will give you and your children for an inheritance. This is the place I was bringing you all those years ago, 25 years earlier when I told you to step out. It was a long journey and it took a lot of time and it was hard. And he lost some family along the way. But yet God was faithful. Why? Because Abraham trusted the truth. For by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. They had been living in houses in Haran. They had been living in houses in, in Ur. Now he had to live in tents, but he was trusting God. 
Trust in God with his family. Verse 10, for Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, the real one, which has some, has some real solidity to it, has some eternity to it, whose builder and maker is God, has a foundation which cannot be shaken. He was looking for something beyond the realm of this mortal world. He was just trusting God and following him. I'm hoping a little bit later to, to, to get to preach on verse 8. It basically says in verse 8 that by faith Abraham, when he was called, he went out not knowing where he was going. You see, what do you do when you don't know the future and the future might scare you? What do you do when you just don't know what to do? <laughs> this passage points to an Old Testament story of Abraham, but it also gives us a glimpse of a New Testament reality. All the accounts we read in the Bible, as I said earlier, are not just for historical sake. They are roadmaps for our lives. They are guidelines. They are examples for us. God highlights them. They're not the only ones that had faith in those days. They were not alone. Elijah, if you, if you read the story, you think that Elijah is the only person that is serving God. If you read that Bible account, you don't see another person on fire for God. You don't see anybody else. And Elijah in, in fact, said to God, I'm the only one. And God said, Elijah, you need a little rest, buddy. Take a break. I've got 7,000 just like you, just right here. God highlights a few. Like Enoch and, and Abel, God highlights a few. Like Noah, and, and God highlights a few. And in your life, you might know a few. You may have highlighted a few real Christians in your life. But let me tell you, they are everywhere. They are everywhere. Everywhere, in every occupation, in, 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 in every city, in every circumstance, in every endeavor, you will find someone who loves God and is serving him down to their last breath down to their last penny, down to the last ounce of strength they have, men and women of God, young men, young women, old men, old women, serving God, trusting him in life. <laughs> These were just ordinary, everyday people. Hebrews 11 gives us a glimpse of everything from creation to salvation. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that now faith is our substance of the hope we have in Christ. That's what he's talking about. We have a hope. Faith is our substance of what we hope for. The greatest thing we hope for is eternal life. The greatest thing we hope for is something that's so far beyond our capacity to manipulate. So far beyond our capacity to, to pay for eternity. My faith is my substance. My faith is my hope in Christ. And when we have hope in Christ, we are no longer the miserable of the earth. No longer the pitiable of the earth. But we are the envied. For truly our God is the master of eternity. And our trust in him is the substance of what we hope for. Our faith is the evidence of the unseen eternal realm of God. 
Would you believe me if I told you there are angels in this house right now? Would you believe me if I told you that there is a Holy Spirit living on the inside of us that is the Spirit of Almighty God, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that if you are born again, you are sealed through eternity by that Spirit that lives in you. Would you believe that? Would you believe that every step you take tomorrow, God will have heard the prayers of even your ancestors generations ago and he is covering you and watching over you and he will never leave you and never forsake you. There is an unseen realm in, in the, 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 that is reality. <laughs> and our faith is the evidence of things I cannot see. My trust in God tells me that when I call upon his name, he hears me and he answers me and he dispatches angels on assignment to minister for me for I am an heir of salvation. I cannot tell you how it happens, but I can tell you that it happens. The unseen realm of God is mighty. It is powerful and it's a reality. That is my faith. My trust in God is that when I called upon his name, when I ask him to come into my heart and save my soul, whenever I realized I was lost, whenever I recognized that I needed a savior, whenever I was at the place and knew I needed help, when I called upon his name, something happened on the inside of here. An old man died and a new man was born. I was born again by the Spirit of God in an unseen realm. It's not something you can see. It's not something you can see in someone else. But my faith tells me that every time I lead someone else to the point where they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and receive him into their life, they are born again. <laughs> my faith is the evidence of this unseen realm. Faith is also a good testimony. Now faith is our good testimony that we have obtained. You see, the elders weren't the only people that obtained a good testimony. These men and women of Hebrews 11, they obtained a good testimony because they trusted God. Do you know that every testimony I have is because I trusted God? When you trust God, you obtain a good testimony. When you call upon his name, he hears you and answers you. He reaches out and touches you. You obtain a good testimony by your trust in him. One of the greatest testimonies is the testimony of Barbara Bush, how she is in heaven today, seeing the little girl that she lost as a young girl, Robin. There's a good testimony for you. Her son stood up and said, my mother is in heaven. I know where she is. Why? Because she trusted the truth. There's a good testimony. She and her husband, George, 
talked about the fact that no matter which one of them went first, they knew it would be okay because the other would soon follow, knowing that their trust was in the truth. And they would be received in the loving arms of Almighty God, our God. Now faith is our confidence of things that we cannot humanly understand. You see, science cannot prove this to me. And my own mind couldn't, could never wrap itself around the fact that there is an eternal God that always was, is, and always will be. My mind cannot wrap, my, uh, wrap itself around the things like virgin birth or resurrection from the dead. But by my faith, I have confidence I'm telling you, it's not just a wish so, a hope so, or, 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 or some idle uh, thought. I have confidence of the things that I cannot understand. <laughs> wow. Some people imagine we're crazy. David said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, I shall be yet more vile, he said. That means if you don't like crazy people, you're probably not going to like me. You see, those things which are impossible with man are possible with God. You don't hand God something that's impossible. I'm convinced we don't hand him enough. Let's take a look this morning at seven things in these verses that the writer of Hebrews wants us to know about this unfolding gospel in this chapter of faith. If you were to read in verse three, that's where it says, by faith we understand that God made the worlds from nothing. Right. Nothing that we could imagine or see. This lets me know that our God, different than other gods, different than the claim of any other God, our God is the God of creation. Our God created the heavens and the earth. Our God made the dust of the ground. Our God took the dust and formed it and created mankind from the dust of the ground. Our God is the God of creation. Hebrews 11 goes all the way back to the very beginning to let us know that our God stands out single among all others that make their claims. For our God created the heavens and the universe out of nothing. Okay? Man. Our God is the God of creation. And you know what? He's still in the creation business. If you need something, Jesus said, ask me for anything. One translation of it says, you ask me for something, you ask the Father for something in my name, if he doesn't have it, he'll make it for you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's still making things today. God is the God of creation and he's given us, he says, you know, he's given us the fruit of our lips to create with. Wow. God creates the fruit of the lips, the Bible says. Number two. A second thing that this writer of Hebrews wants us to know in these beginning verses is that God is an accepting and a forgiving God. Not only did God create you, but as verse 4 says, Abel offered a sacrifice pleasing to God. Cain did not. 
In fact, Cain ended up killing his brother Abel. And then Cain prayed to God and God covered Cain. Wow. What does this mean? This means that God is an accepting God. That God accepts the things that we offer him and do for him. But even if we fail, even if we fall, even if we trip, even if we fall into sin, yet when we call upon his name, he is a forgiving God. Oh man, this is, this is one of the foundations of the gospel is that same God that created us still wants us. That same God that, that, that breathed life into my body still wants me. He is accepting of the things that I do for him. And if I fall, he will not let me be utterly cast down. Psalms 23 says, he will uphold me with his right hand so that none of my steps will slide. (laughs) Wow. Verse five tells us that God is a friendly God who enjoys relationship with us. Now, I don't know how this sets with you, but By faith, I just have to take this by faith and trusting the truth that God wants to be my friend. (laughs) The creator of the universe wants to be your friend? Well, that's what he said. By faith, Enoch. He's the guy that did not see death. Well, that's me. Enoch had a testimony. He pleased God. Well, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And guess what? The Bible says he was the friend of God. Now you have two choices in life. You can be God's friend or you can be God's enemy. Right. Matthew 12, 30. Those that are not gathering together are spreading abroad. Right. You know? Wow. I don't want to be God's enemy. So what do we have to do to be God's friend? Trust him. Jesus actually said it this way. If you're my friend, you really my friend, you'll obey me. The flop of that would also be true. If you don't do what I say, you're really not my friend. Wow. Jesus called us friends. God called Enoch friends. Here we are in the very first part of this faith chapter, realizing that the God who created us is the God that still wants us. He will accept us and forgive us. But not only that, he will be our friend. Oh man, could you imagine having God as a friend? I mean a friend. I'm talking about a friend. A friend. A friend loves at all times. A friend. God, God wants to be your friend. You'll have to just trust that to be the truth. He wants a relationship with you, a friendship with you. Verse six tells how it was impossible to please God without faith. Verse six tells us that God is a God who rewards those who diligently seek him. God will reward you if you will seek him. If you will seek him for the answers to your problems. You see, there may be situations in life that scare you a little bit. There may be circumstances in some of your friends' lives or family's lives that you just don't want to see them go through or go to. It can be difficult. Life can be difficult. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You put your trust in God. You call upon him. 
He's the God that created you. He's the God that still loves you and wants you. He's the God that will forgive you for anything that's come between you and him. He's the God that wants to be your friend. And he is the God who will reward you if you will just seek him. The Bible talks about King Asa. The Bible says that King Asa, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase this. He got the foot rot. Okay. Might've been gangrene or something. And the Bible says that he did not seek the Lord, so he died. Now, why would God write that right there? He did not seek the Lord, he died, so he died. My goodness. I think God put that right there so that we'd be encouraged to seek the Lord. Yeah, I don't think he wrote that so that we'd go, <laughs> Asa. Really? You got an ingrown toenail and you died? No, he didn't seek the Lord and he died. From a problem that the Lord was willing to fix, evidently. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 7. Talked about Noah. By faith, Noah. You know, he, I mean, Noah worked hard. Noah, Noah only had one message. He preached righteousness. For 120 years, if you went to Noah's church, all you'd hear is get right with God, get right with God, get right with God. Uh, y'all remember that I got to go build a boat, you know, get right with God. He was a preacher of righteousness. Get right with God, get right with God. 120 years, not one convert. Oh, Noah was a, he was, some people probably thought he was delusional, but he was trusting the truth. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his whole household. You see, verse 7 tells us the fifth truth, that God is a redemptive God who saves the righteous from destruction. God's always trying to save people from wickedness and, and hurt and pain and destruction. God's always trying to help us avoid the trouble that is coming our way. God is always divinely instructing and divinely encouraging us and divinely reaching out to us. Noah trusted God and took that step and began to prepare for his family to be saved. And God saved his family. God saves those who are right with him. How do you get right with God? Trust him. The Bible says it's by faith that we become right with God. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Romans chapter 10. The sixth thing we see is in verse eight. How did Abraham, you remember Abraham? Abraham heard from God and he went out without knowing where he was going. You see, you won't always, in fact, I'll submit to you that seldom will you see the end from the beginning. God does, but we don't. That's why we must be faithful in every step that we take because God is the God of the unknown. God is the God of things that we do not know, that we cannot know. Things that are beyond our, our, our wisdom, that are beyond us, us being able to put them together. God is the God of the unknown. What do you do whenever you're afraid? What do you do whenever the future scares you? What do you do when you don't know what to do? You trust God. Why? Because God knows the future. God knows the unknown. God knows what we don't know. Don't worry. 
Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse six in the New Living Translation says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you want and then thank him for everything he does. Don't worry. I suppose we're not supposed to know where we're going, what we're doing. But what we do know is that God is God in life and God is God in death. God is God in sickness and God is God in health. Our God is God in prosperity and our God is God in need. Our God is God in the beginning. He is God in the end. Our God is the God of things that I know and our God is the God of things that we cannot know. Our God is God. He is the one and only and Abraham trusted God to be the God of the unknown. And so the Bible says he stepped out on a journey, not knowing where it would lead, not knowing when it would end, not knowing where it would take him, but he knew that God would be with him every step of the way. Don't be afraid today. Don't be worried. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. God's with you. And he will be with you every step of the way. If you will call upon his name, if you will just but recognize you need a savior, whether you are lost and on your way to hell or whether you are born again and living in hell, if you will recognize that he is your salvation, he is your help, you can call upon him at any place, at any stage, at any season, and for any reason in life. And when you call upon him, he will hear you, and your faith and trust in him can understand that things are happening in unseen places. Things are happening beyond our wisdom and knowledge. God is making something, even if he has to make it out of nothing, because he created us, and he loves us, and he wants a relationship. He wants to be our friend, and God is divinely giving us a chance to get into his will for our lives. If you are born again today, then you can afford to step out of the boat and walk on water. If you are born again today, you can afford to trust God beyond what you know, beyond what you can put together on paper. Number seven tells us that God is the God of your future. He is. Verse nine and 10 tell us that Abraham was looking for that city. He was looking for a, a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a city that had some real substance to it, some real foundations to it. He was looking for something beyond what this world can offer. And that's why he was able to trust God with a journey in this life is because he knew he was having to trust God with a journey for the next. If I know that I can trust God with my eternity, then why would I not also trust him with my electricity bill? Amen. 
with my wayward child. With the boss at work that just doesn't like me. With a spouse I don't understand. Why would I not trust him? With the sickness. With the hurt. With the disappointment. With the betrayal. Why would I not also trust him? If I must trust him for my eternity, why would I not also trust him in this life? You see, what we need to do whenever the future scares us, when others we care about are in danger, or when we just don't know what to do, we can always call upon him and trust him. He hears you, he listens, and he will answer. The unknown. Well, for those of you that aren't married, tell me, who will you marry? Well, you may not know. Where will you live? What job are you going to get next? When will help arrive? We don't know. Our God knows. He is the God of the unknown. Okay? You can trust him.